Hello. My guest this week is Toby Pierce. And for those of you that don't know Toby, he's the CEO of Sweat. Toby describes Sweat as the world's biggest online digital gym. It's a digital empire that offers fitness and health guidance for women. Toby's start to life was unconventional, to say the least. Choosing to leave home at just 16 years old due to family and personal issues, he set off in life to become a self-made entrepreneur. He started off by working in a music shop before turning to personal training. And this is where he met his now fiance, Kayla. Kayla, if you don't know, is known for being one of the world's biggest online fitness influencers. Their business was born in 2014, and through Sweat, they're already generating hundreds of millions in revenue. They have a dedicated community of more than 20 million women using their products all around the world, and the impact they've had on health and fitness is astronomical. Toby is smart. He's funny, direct, honest, driven, pragmatic. Toby is an exception. He thinks differently. He's the type of person you would bet on no matter what they decided to do. This is one of those conversations where I walked away smarter, more motivated and more inspired. And I know and I hope that you will too. Without further ado, I'm Stephen Barlett and this is the Diary of a CEO. I hope nobody is listening. But if you are, then please keep this to yourself. I don't really have um, questions as such, yep. Toby, but I um, wanted to thank you for joining me, first yeah, and foremost. Thanks for having me, mate. Making the time. I know you're a very, very busy man. Um, I read through your story and I was quite, and this is just my honest opinion, I was quite shocked. Mm. I was shocked at um, the start you had in life mm-hmm. and also how high you then managed to climb from that start. Because mm. I think if people read what I read, they would assume someone that has that start to life... Mm would then maybe go through life feeling sorry for themselves, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. we see that a lot, right? So I guess the first place to start is, how was your start to life? Can you talk about the yeah. your childhood? Yeah, a little bit, sure. I mean, so, um, yeah, probably probably late, late on in high school, yeah, I mean, uh, I kind of made the decision to leave home, so I was kind of living by myself from sort of 16 years old. Um, yeah, definitely, um, yeah, which which complicates things, I think. And Why did you leave home? Just, uh, I mean, like, rough family environment, I think, to a degree. But I think, you know, and also, and this would probably kind of talk a little bit to, you know, my, I think, yeah, independence and problem solving or whatever, like, I felt like I was always kind of in control of my destiny. And so at a, at a point, you know, when I was like very, very young, I was kind of like, well, you know, I'm not probably really that happy, you know, here now, but I think that I can control the outcome of that. Um, what? So I have, sorry to interject, no, there, but no, that, for ahead. me, that point is really, really important because mm. for whatever reason, and I've talked mm. about this on this podcast before, I felt yeah. the same way. Yeah. I, I did not know the future, yeah. but for some reason I was arrogant enough to think that I yeah. would be completely fine. Where, mm-hmm. And I've, over the years, managed to kind of like look back and try and figure out why that was. But yeah. for you, why at 16 years old did you think you could con- control your own destiny? Yeah, I, I think, you know, and perhaps, yeah, well, maybe, maybe it's a little bit of shared arrogance or it's the confidence. I mean, however you want to define it. Um, yeah, and perhaps probably even a little bit of naivety, you know, I think at a young age. But I think that, you know, to be honest, I think, um, you know, what is an entrepreneur if not a problem solver, you know, right? And so I think that, you know, literally even from the age of sort of like seven, eight, nine years old, like I was always a really, you know, kind of great problem solver. And I also not only was good at it, but I actually really enjoyed it. Um, you know, so not that I think that any kind of 
teenager really enjoys, you know, the thought of leaving home. Yeah. But I was just kind of very confident that, you know, that I can kind of keep myself up on my own two feet. I'll figure out a way to, you know, get a job. I'll figure out a way to get through university and make a life for myself. And I think, yeah, if anything, um, yeah, that was, like the 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 challenge of succeeding was almost probably the largest motivator, um, you know. Like so, like I've you know I've gone through adversity. It's like, but I'll come out the other side. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it'll be fine. But like, where am I going to be and how do I get there? Like that's pretty stimulating challenge for me. I think so. Did you have brothers and sisters? Um, yeah, one sister. Yeah, um, but uh, again, probably not. Yeah, probably not really the you know the strongest relationship. But I think even from a very young age, like I was kind of quite introverted and you know like to myself and kept to myself. So. Yeah. And was your relationship with your parents close? Oh, I think, yeah, probably with my dad, pretty good. Yeah, definitely for sure. Um, but I think, um, yeah, stuff that was happening yeah, in and around my family. And yeah, and yeah, totally respect that this is probably a little different, like sure. for a teenager, but I was kind of just not really that patient with it. Sure. Um, yeah. And, um, and I think as well, like to be honest, even, even if that stuff had not been happening, like I was always sort of the person that to be honest, I probably would have left shortly after anyway. You know, like I was always like, I've got to go on and do something, you know? Um, yeah. So you, you might have read online as well. Like, you know, I, I was, you know, in high school kind of got asked to leave because I was, wasn't really doing much work at school and then yeah eventually kind of in, in Australia you consider um you know a, a stat test which is called a stat test to get into university basically but tested pretty good got into uni and then just picked myself up and kind of went you know like I didn't have anyone telling me to go to university or like yeah forcing me or paying for it mm-hmm. I just wanted to learn mm-hmm. yeah and because I knew that basically in order to succeed in life at anything you know like a fundamental part of that is learning and working hard you know so I just went ahead and did that and wanted to make the best of it for myself so so 16 years old, asked to leave school? Uh, would have been 15 years old, asked to leave school and then moved to another school and then um, sort of finished high school. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then about sort of six to eight months after that, yeah, probably sat that test to get into university and then sort of started picking myself up after that. And when you moved out of your house, mm-hmm. presumably you didn't move out of your house with loads of funds? No, no, yeah. So I uh, I was actually working in a music shop. Um, so I studied classical piano for the majority of my life. Um, so, yeah, I was working in a music shop sort of selling pianos and selling sheet music about five or six hours a week for sort of 15 bucks an hour sort of thing um so yeah I sort of had that um a couple of my friends were pretty helpful and sort of yeah helped me to kind of bridge the gap but I think um I, I was able to pretty quickly like pivot out of that into figuring out like, you know, yeah, well, what do I want to do? You know, I want to study and learn like, you know, how do I pay for that study? You know, like how do I actually cover that cost and how do I find a job that's flexible? And I was like, oh, well, you know, I really like the health and fitness industry and I'm training in the gym a bit. So like I'll go and do a personal training course. And then, you know, like literally from there, everything kind of really picked up massively. So, you know, a matter of months after that, like I was, you know, personal training in a gym, um, you know, sort of within six months of that, like I'd started, you know, sort of my first business. So I was a, running my own business as a personal trainer in a gym but also sort of then went out and started doing boot camps and running boot camps with women outdoors mm-hmm. um, another sort of six months after that had my second franchise another six months after that and Kayla and I had our first online business together um, so the momentum really picked up when I kind of took things into my own hands and got on the front foot as opposed to yeah like you know the other way that someone can go through adversity is yeah choose to feel sorry for themselves or whatever but that's a very it's a very slow, sort of depressing path, you know, not, yeah. not one that I really think that I wanted to go on. So, And so um, you've, you go to university, mm-hmm. you graduate when you're how old? Didn't graduate uni. Didn't graduate? No, so I got, um, got about... 
two and a half, three years <laughs> in, I think. Um, yeah, and then sort of had started the online business that was doing sort of about ten million a year at that point, and like highly profitably. Um, so and I was sort of like, oh, like, well, yeah, I'll, I'll defer uni because like, at this point in time, it was it was you know critically, and to be kind of frank, it was like, what's the ROI on my time? You know, like, mm-hmm. what what return on investment do I get? Like, I can go to university for however long to learn in the structured environment, like, or I could put that on, you know, time out temporarily, I can force my own learning quicker by doing online courses or reading books and I can run a business on my own terms. Mm-hmm. You know, so the long-term plan wasn't necessarily to never go back to university, but it was more about, well, these opportunities don't always come along and when you get an opportunity, you got to go. So so you dropped out? Yeah, so yeah, deferred initially and then sort of a year and a half later, we were doing about, you know, 25 million a year in revenue nice. and um, then I was, yeah, obviously sort of just like, well... I think, you know, again, like, you know, same situation again, but sort of a year to 12 to 18 months later, like, what's the ROI on my time? You know, mm-hmm. do I, do I go back to university for another two and a half years and slow down my business? Mm-hmm. You know, what would happen in two and a half years if I was spent like 150%, you know, like at, at this company? Like, what would that actually be? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, so about another year and a half later, we're doing sort of 50 or $60 million in revenue. And another year and a half later is kind of now, mm-hmm. you know, what we're doing about, you know, 100 million in, you know, annual turnover plus and, yeah. Trying to grow still. So one of the things like that, by the way, that's fucking impressive. <laughs> Just before <laughs> Thanks, I, I, I transition <laughs> onwards. But, um, one of the things that I get asked all the time is I'll get messages from young kids that are at university now mm-hmm. and they, they either have an idea, they're either working mm. on an idea on the side. Mm. Often there's very little traction mm. and they're asking me the question, Steve, shall I drop out of university? Mm. What's, uh, what's your advice to them? Yeah. Well, I mean, look, so I think in that situation, there's probably not going to be one rule or one size fits all, right? Like, I mean, my, my thought process was pretty logical, you know, sort of like, Basically, am I making enough money right now that I can actually justify not going to university? Like when compared to basically what job I'll be able to get after that? Um, you know, am I going to potentially yield a significantly larger benefit by not going to uni in the short term? Like, yes, like I probably think so. Um, you know, and, and I guess like, you know, also like what's the opportunity cost of going to uni? You know, see, if I was to go to uni, regardless of the money, let's actually forget the dollar amount. It was more like these type of opportunities and business opportunities are not, I wouldn't say necessarily say like once in a lifetime, but like when they're here, they're here. Mm-hmm. And if you don't take that opportunity and you don't get on the front foot, then it's gone. Sure. Right. You know, so I think, I think for people that are in university now, you know, if you've, already started running a business and you're already getting your know, revenue and you're already like getting growth you know i think it's kind of up to them to determine at what point you know for some people it could be 200 grand a year for some people it could be 20 million a year you know it mm-hmm. really depends it depends on the intensity of the business and t- depends on the intensity of the learning mm-hmm. um and also i think as well like you know if you drop out of university and then all of a sudden you're not studying like you're not reading you're not watching videos online like you're not like forcing yourself to learn well if you need university to be the thing that actually causes you to grow, then I'd probably keep going. But for me, like I was like, I could actually learn a lot quicker by not being at university. And that's like literally what's happened, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'll read sort of like 50 to a hundred books a year, you know, podcasts, travel, networking, whatever, like they're for me and my mindset, far more valuable learning opportunities. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't say there's like a one size fits all. I think it's kind of balancing the odds. I know you, you, you meant, I completely agree. And you mentioned there that you read 50 to a hundred books a year. Whenever mm-hmm. someone mentions books on mm-hmm. the internet ever, the first question people ask is what's your favorite book yep so um, i'd be remiss if i didn't yeah yeah so i think um you know at different points in time different books right sure. um yeah i think for me yeah sort of over the last probably 
two years, probably two books. I think, you know, one of them is, um, Good to Great by Jim Collins, which is sort of like, um, really a, a really good, almost in some way statistical analysis of the reason why businesses have gone, you know, like, top 100 businesses in the world, how they went from being effectively good businesses to becoming great companies that stood the test of time. And so for me, that was really kind of eye-opening about, well, you know, the approach to business should obviously very often be about sustainability, not just growth. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that was really critical. Um, and then, you know, probably, you know, more more specific like subject matter, but like, you know, there's a book, um, really, really clever guy called Tian Zhu who runs a company called Zora and they're basically a subscription, like subscription business, um, subscription management software. Um, and he wrote a book called Subscribed and it's sort of just a really, really, an enlightening view on like modern business models and like how the effectively the subscription economy is is going to change business in a really big way. So because mm-hmm. um, we run in subscription business, that was sure. really Definitely. really good for us. Yeah. Great. And um, going back to the business you started in university, that that mm. started making ten million, twenty million dollars yep. a year. Mm. Um, talk to me about that and what business that was. And yeah, yeah, sure. So basically, after we like, yeah, I've been running a couple of boot camps, and Kalo was doing, we were doing studio, like running a PT studio. Um, we like entered the online world selling eBooks. Um, so this was sort of like really early 2014, almost. Um, you know, Instagram's kind of new thing, mm-hmm. and eBooks are sort of there, but sort of not. And in the fitness industry, definitely not really. Um, yeah, so we kind of we had we had a lot of people online. Effectively, we we, we generated a decent fan base to to effectively lead generate for boot camps. But then what started to happen was obviously you can't just build fans in kind of one suburb. You know, mm-hmm. so the fans online sort of started being like, oh, we've got some in America, some in Russia, some in you know wherever, and they were like, oh, like well, you know, I see your client transformations and I see your workouts. So Really cool. Like I want to do that. So we kind of yeah just put, put, wrap, wrap that up all up in an ebook. You know, a couple hundred pages, packaged it with a whole bunch of like what we believe to be kind of almost mandatory like education material, and sort of you know put it on a website that we built that was really gross and barely mm-hmm. worked and crashed all the time and whatever. Um, but yeah, pushed it out on the internet and then sort of off it went. So you know we uh, we were to be honest like really surprised we launched it. Instead, in the first week, probably generated more revenue and sales than what we would have done in like six months in our existing business. Um, obviously the, you know, the initial emotion is like, yes, like that's amazing. But then it's kind of like, oh, but what about next week? You know, and then, sure. so that was, and that, I think to be honest, that kind of almost fear, but like critical view of, you know, what's next and what's coming for the business is probably what kind of helped us to take it from just like a, here's an idea into like, it's an actual legitimate business. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't really introduce Kayla. Yeah. Yeah. So I probably should take, take a step back and introduce Kayla. Obviously I know, but I'm not sure everybody listening knows who is, um, who's Kayla. So Kayla's my fiance. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, she's a personal trainer. So Kayla had seen us and, uh, we, we started dating sort of probably about a year, year and a half before we sort of started working together, at least online. Um, but yeah, she was, uh, like we, we went to market effectively with her brand. Like her name is a brand to sell what was initially the bikini body guide. So, um, there's now become an app, obviously. Um, but, um, yeah, she, she, she was the face and the name of everything that we did in you know, sort of for the first few years. And is now currently, well, Forbes recently named her the most influential sort of fitness icon in the world, which is pretty amazing. But yeah, she's having a massive impact on the space. So you've just recently announced that she's uh, got a baby on the way. Yes, yeah. So we got engaged at the beginning of last year, um, and then yeah, we're currently pregnant. Um, due in the. Eight weeks and five days. Oh wow! Yeah, so pretty <laughs> soon. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, how long have you guys been together? Uh, coming up six and a half years. And you've been working in business for the same period of time. About five, five, five years. Yeah. So I mean, even really early on, like when um, you know Kayla was doing her personal training and I was doing mine, like we kind of we had this sort of you know, shared and parallel kind of view on 
like women's fitness and workouts and client engagement, except I also kind of had this really, you know, deep like passion for business, mm-hmm. you know, so, um, you know, even like really early on in our relationship, it was more just kind of, I'd help her problem solve certain stuff in the business, but then she'd have this really great idea about content we could create or, you know, different workouts we should do. And so it was kind of a really, you know, the perfect partnership in some ways, like in, in that way really early on. And we knew each of our strengths and we kind of stuck to that. So. And what's it like? doing business with someone that you're romantically involved with. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, a question we get asked all the time. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, well, probably to be clear, like early on it was very different to what it is now. You know, it's so like now, like I don't really see her at all during the day. Like it's not like we're in meetings sure. together. You know, I'm I'm more so doing you know, the business stuff and what's coming next and whatever for, for the whole organisation and she's obviously kind of more critically focused on her, on her own brand. Um, but I think, you know, early on there's definitely kind of some, you know, like sometimes there's tension or, or more, you know, kind of discussion about certain stuff. But I think we've been really fortunate. Like we've, to be honest, probably never really, I don't think we've ever really actually argued about business or anything like that. And I think that really comes down to like, you know, my role in this is X and, you know, her role in it is Y. And like, we both kind of have the trust in one another that we're going to dominate in those two areas. And that, mm-hmm. that's that. Yeah, right. So Kayla, Kayla did a post on Facebook that I've got here. Yeah, sure. Do you know which post I'm referring to? Uh, no, I don't. No. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of posts there. <laughs> she's, it's a, a post about you. Yeah. She says, on Toby's profile, it says he was expelled from school, but people mm-hmm. always think this is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Toby was actually asked to leave school because he spent a lot of his time being bored. And yes, this made him a little distracting to others. <laughs> he is a genius. I'm not saying that because I think he's smart. He really is a genius with an amazing mind. He was studying classic piano um, from age four. Sorry if this is making you yeah, a little no, bit no, embarrassed, no. but <laughs> and, um, was at university level by 13 years old. Mm-hmm. He is able to work on mathematical problems in a matter of seconds. He has a photographic memory. He can analyze uh, a person or a situation and know everything that is going to happen next. He can finish your sentences, um, which he says is sometimes annoying. <laughs> he can fix anything, learn new languages in a few months. Nothing is too difficult for him. And as amazing as this sounds, he thinks this is a burden sometimes. Why is that a burden? I'd fucking. <laughs> oh, there's a, there's a lot going on up in my head. I think that's for sure. But um, I think Kayla's very generous with her words. Of course, for yeah. sure. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah. I mean, well, I don't know about the the stuff about me being being really clever or whatever. But you know, the, the stuff about you know the piano and whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, that's all true. Like I definitely did that stuff and was um yeah effectively kind of doing the equivalent to concert piano level performance when I was sort of thirteen years old and. Yeah, just kind of the way I was always into problem solving. I said before, mm-hmm. it was always how it was. The burden part, what does she hmm. mean? Um, what is she referring to? Yeah, I, so I think... I've heard a few people re- refer to their own mental sort of cognition as a burden. Yeah. Elon Musk is one of them. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think yeah, pro- probably kind of, well, probably two things. Yeah, I think fundamentally there's like there's there's so much traffic you know, like in your mind, there's so much information going in and out. Um, yeah, which, and it's literally also like 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Like it doesn't, it never ever kind of really stops. And I think also as well, then, you know, and something I've been really trying to work hard on over the last sort of 12 months, like as a leader, like that communication is really hard. You know, like, so when there's so much stuff going on in your head or like when something seems really simple and obvious and you just like, it, it's, you've clearly got the answer, but trying to communicate that to other people who for whatever reason not, might not be as strong in that field or it might not make as much sense to them. Like, you know, that, that barrier can sometimes be a little frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, especially like early on, you know, in a business like, yeah, you're trying to move at a million miles an hour. Not that that's really changed. Still trying to move at a million miles an hour, but you're trying to really move super, super fast. But 
when you're the person sitting there and the vision is really clear to you and you can see all the answers and whatever and like it's right in front of you, but then you've got a team of people who are doing their best to keep up with you and like of course they're doing a great job, but trying to bridge that gap can sometimes be kind of, you know, like painful in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially then when you couple that with someone like me who, you know, I'm kind of self-confessed, extremely impatient. Yeah, I was um, going to say patience is y- what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Right. So, yeah, so there's brains going a million miles now, really impatient. You know, there's a, there's a bridge that you've got to cross. And so sometimes it can be a bit of a burden, but it is what it is. Well, I don't get, I don't, cause when you say that, mm. I completely get it. But then mm. I also know my friends that are CEOs of big companies like Umar, who mm. leads Pretty Little Thing. Mm. And I, I had the same conversation with him last week in LA. Mm. And he is the same. He's, I said to him, you're the most impatient person I know. Yeah. And I watch him get frustrated to the point of like his face going red. Yeah. Because Umar will decide something. Mm-hmm. He'll have a vision and know it. Mm-hmm. And, the problem is he needs his team to do it. Yeah. Right. It's the lag factor. It's, like, it's no different to, I don't know if, for any of anyone listening who's ever done online gaming, right? It's like you're playing Call of Duty yeah. or something and you start lagging. It's literally the same thing. It's the frustration. But, and, and how have you, have you, this is just advice for myself. How have you come to, to deal with that? Yeah. Look, um, I think to, to, to be honest, it's, it's kind of like most, most things. I think becoming aware of that first and, and understanding like what the, what the deficit or surplus is in that particular area is really critical. You know, so for, for me, um, you know, being aware of that and then communicating that to my team. So like, cool, like my brain goes at a million miles now. If you don't understand something or it doesn't make sense, just ask. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, and sometimes something as simple as like actually open the door for people to have an opinion or to be able to ask a question is actually really critical because, you know, as a CEO, like, you know, the person that's very often making the decisions or, or alternatively at least like setting the vision, you know, sometimes people kind of want to just take what you say, you know, immediately, yep, cool, but they're afraid to actually ask what that means and kind of validate it for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, yeah, the awareness and allowing that type of communication with your team members is really important. But um, at the end of the day, I think it's 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 much like a lot of things in life, you know, whether it be health and fitness or learning or whatever, like it really is a discipline. You know, like at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how smart you are or how fast your brain can go or if you've got all the answers or whatever. If you can't bring other people along for the journey and you can't get them motivated about it and you can't get them to understand it clearly, it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. You know, so the discipline to be patient, which is sometimes very difficult, but the discipline to be patient, um, you know, and considered and communicate is really, is really the foundation for success there. And in Kayla's, um, post on her Facebook page, she, she says a lot of very, very nice things about you and points to, I guess, mm. a number of attributes about you that might be responsible for your personal success. Mm. But, um, from your perspective, why do you think that you've been successful in the way that you have? Mm. Um, and I'm talking personally in terms of not yeah. opportunity or timing or Instagram. Yeah. I mean, on a personal level, what are the attributes of you as a person? Yeah, so I think, yeah, I mean, categorically, probably a few things. I mean, you would have heard of these a thousand times, I'm sure, and you're kind of speaking to other other leaders and CEOs. But I think, you know, like, I think there's, there's the basic one is about you need to work hard. Like, I think that's a thing. And, you know, for me, like, working hard is not a learned behavior. Like, it's actually just inherent to who I am, you know. So working multiple jobs or working long hours or working whatever, like, you know, I think outside the bounds of the kind of traditional nine to five, you know, like yesterday was more like a five to nine, you know, sort mm-hmm. of thing. Um, you know, so I think, you know, the, the hard work is definitely a thing. Um, the discipline I mentioned as well is obviously a really critical thing as well because discipline's kind of, you know, when you're working hard, but you get tired and you want to stop, like that's what's going to kind of perpetuate the momentum. Um, cause really at the end of the day, it's about building momentum and maintaining it. And, you know, so having the discipline and the drivers really the two things that are going to keep that going. Um, and I think really like outside of that, a lot of things kind of cascade from that, you know, like it's the like, you know, learning and self development, like 
well, that's still like, you've got to be driven to want to learn and you've got to be disciplined to keep learning. Um, you know, I think surrounding myself with like really, really, you know, highly intelligent and experienced people as well to help again, perpetuate the momentum has been really critical. But I think everyone, everyone kind of has their own secret source, you know, and I think if I had to get kind of out of the, you know, the generalist, you know, mm-hmm. sort of stuff, like I think, you know, probably my greatest strength is being really like detail oriented and really strong in information architecture. And so what I mean by that basically is that a lot of people would probably describe me as OCD like highly OCD, um, but I would just describe that as highly specific about what I want. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think on the information architecture thing about being able to frame things in a way that makes sense and being able to organize things in a way that makes sense for a lot of people kind of breaks down the barriers again, like I mentioned before, for communication to generate that momentum for the team. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Awesome. And, you know, you're a very young business person. We talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but mm. it's not always easy as a young person to get into business because um you're i guess you have more to prove um yeah people expect less from you yeah sure but i also think in some respects that them taking you for granted Mm. creates an opportunity as well in some respects talk to me about what it's like being a young person trying to get into business and your your experiences of that um well yeah i think i think obviously it depends who you're in the room with yeah Mm. but i think um yeah there's 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 definitely some pretty savage experiences, you know, like, um, you know, I've, I've literally been in, in, in gone, like shown up to a meeting before going into walk with someone and literally just been like literally marched out. Like, because then you know, 30 seconds into the meeting, they're like, you're just a kid, don't care. Like, it doesn't actually matter, like, what you're talking about. They don't, like, some people generally don't care. And, you know, that's a very, like, kind of broad stroke, you know, like, remark. But there are genuinely some people that just don't care. Um, you know, like, if you walk into a meeting room and you're sort of 20, 25 years old, they just don't really value your opinion. Um, yeah, but I think, yeah, without being negative on the opposite end of the spectrum, there's also some people that are tremendously welcoming, you know. And so I think, um, you know, again, like part of, part of the journey is, you know, having the resilience to survive what, are, you know, probably the, the shitty meetings, you know, or the shitty people that you network with, you know, and to try and find the, you know, the, the rose amongst the thorn type situation, you know, like where is the, where is the person that doesn't judge me for my age or for my, you know, lack of knowledge in certain areas, you know, because I think part of being young as well or of any age is you might be, an expert in whatever software engineering and product development, but you might not know anything about finance. Mm-hmm. You know, and like, so you go to meet with an accountant or whatever. And like, because you're actually doing really well at something, there's kind of a pre- preconceived like expectation that like, Oh, well, you must think you're pretty good. But then when you come into a meeting vulnerable, like, Oh, I don't actually really know a lot about this, but I really want to learn. Mm-hmm. They kind of get almost taken back by that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it is hard in some ways being a young person, like trying to do business, but I think it's only as hard as you let it be hard for yourself. You know, like at the end of the day, you can get emotional about that and emotional about a lot of things in business, or you can kind of just go brush it off and kind of move on to the next thing, you know? So you started when you were 21, 22? Yeah. Well, I mean, I started as a PT, like actually running my own business at probably like 19. Right. You know? um, but yeah, I mean, it really started to, you know, like pick up and get kind of more serious around 21 years old. Um, which yeah, like, you know, you're, you're traveling the world and even not, not we're a fully bootstrapped organization, but like I think, you know, met with a lot of investors investors sort of around that age as well and it's um yeah some of them certainly more forthcoming than others that's for sure yeah and you mentioned there that there's um, a lot of savage times mm-hmm. you know much of the well I think anyway I think because of various films and Instagram quotes mm-hmm. and all these kinds of things a lot of people see entrepreneurship as being a pretty rock star thing like jet mm-hmm. skis um, yeah. lots of holidays private jets mm-hmm. um money cars uh, yep. and everything in between and um do you agree or disagree? Yeah. Um, I think... I, I, I think that we live in a society and, our, and generation where things are probably 
or definitely hyped up a little bit. Yeah, and I think as well, like um, a lot of people want to, yeah, and well, maybe rightfully so, they're really proud of what they've achieved and they really want to show that off and whatever. But I think that I think that, that being set as the benchmark for, you know, the aspiration for a lot of our generation is probably what the actual mistake is. So I think, you know, showcasing it and being proud, of course, is cool. It's one thing. But I think if you're someone who is not in that position and you're at the very beginning of your journey, I think aiming for that is actually the wrong, you know, the wrong aim, like in a, in a multitude of different ways. Um, yeah, and I'm sure, you know, probably yourself and an abundance of other people that you know, like there's this, you know, having money is cool and having things and whatever is cool or not whatever but ultimately there's a really 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 distinct realization that happens kind of early on in the journey and that is that that's not like and as much as other people want to argue like that's not actually going to bring you joy in life at all you know, like the thing that brings you joy is the journey. It's every win that you get and not necessarily just the win about money. It's the win about progress that you've made. You've just hired a really elite person who's going to like just add massive gains to the business, you know, like whatever. It's all those little wins that are actually the good things. You know, the, the car and the house and the private jets and the whatever, like, you know, that's, that's, that's cool. And it's, it's fun for about 30 seconds and whatever. But after a while, like who, who are you really actually pleasing? Is that pleasing yourself or is that pleasing other people would probably be my argument but at what point did on that point of money mm. if i give you this is basically yes or no question mm. is if i give you another million quid now mm. would you be happier no not at all um at what point did your happiness uh, stop scaling mm. based that's, on fat income question. yeah look i think um yeah i don't think that i'd better say like oh it was at this dollar point yeah mm-hmm. um but i think that i think that really there was probably a realization sort of as Kayla's brand started to lift off and we started to make this pivot into the app that was like it, it then everything just became so exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, to be honest, you know, not that I think that any accountant or financial controller would want to hear this, but you, know, you almost forget about the money. Mm-hmm. Like really it just becomes, it, it's just a measuring stick. Like did we win this quarter better than last quarter? Like that's the grade. Yes or no. Right. Yeah. But I think like for me, you know, like I was just literally just dumped into the middle of like learning software engineering and learning marketing and user experience and automation and whatever. And for me, that was like literally the best part of the journey and still is the best part of the journey. Like I got to learn all of this, like, you know, like front, you know, kind of like leading world-class sort of stuff that otherwise I wouldn't be exposed to, you know, and for me, that's an epic part of it. And, you know, like being here today, like meeting someone like yourself, same age, like killing it in a completely different space, like that stuff is actually worth it. You know, that's mm-hmm. the memory that I'll be able to talk about even if I have zero dollars one day. Sure. You know, yeah. but you can't, like when you do have zero dollars, potentially in the future, you're not going to look back and be like, oh, it was so great when I had all that money, you know, like, because that's going to be depressing, right? But like, you're being able to go back and be like, oh, yeah, we achieved this, like, you know, we ran boot camp tours for 100,000 women around the world, like, yeah, like, we literally changed the space, like, that's awesome, you know, Um, and that's going to last forever, yeah, that won't ever, like, won't ever fade. And I think I know the answer to this question, Um, but are you scared of losing it all? Um, Look, I think that Anyone would be lying if they said no, you know. Um, you know, I think there'd be different reasons why people are fearful, that's for sure. But I think like, you know, I think to be honest, and again, like part of a good entrepreneur and the thirst and drive for success is probably a fear of failure. I don't think it's necessarily a fear of like losing a dollar on the bank account, but it's more about like it's a fear of going backwards. It's a fear of slowing down. It's a fear of the product not being as good. It's a fear of, you know, not being the front runner, you know, like all of those things. Like I don't think that that's something that anyone's going to be happy about. That's for sure. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I don't think that would necessarily for me specifically have anything to do with money. It's more about progress. Yeah, you know, like my 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 obsession and my drive is for progress, mm-hmm. not for dollars. Mm-hmm. 
And what, what is your, your long-term aim then? If, if you're obsessing over progress, mm. what is, you know, 10 years progress to you? What does that look sure. like? So, yeah, if we, if we zoom in a little bit, like, on on the business so you know sweat is sweat effectively we kind of define as you know a digital gym you know so our, our desire is to be the world's biggest digital gym um you know we we view the fitness industry basically as being um you know fragmented mm-hmm. you know so like there's there's big box gyms there's 24 sevens there's you know your soul cycle and a 45 boutique experiences and then there's hundreds and thousands of fitness apps and trainers and whatever online you know the last segment of that is the segment that we play in how do we aggregate all of that you know, when you think about music, right, you think about Spotify. You know, if you think about entertainment or movies, you think about Netflix. You know, when you think about working out, mm-hmm. you don't think about anybody, mm-hmm. right? So in five or ten years' time, when you think about working out, you'll think about sweat. Okay. Love it. Mm-hmm. I'm sold. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a step back. So um, when I say um, hard times, what's mm-hmm. the first thing that comes to mind? Um, All the first things. Probably, yeah, probably. So I think the, the, the very first launch of our app, um, you know, yeah, so yeah, probably to, to kind of summarize that in really short, you know, go into this project so to launch an app to kind of pivot the business, expect to spend sort of 200 to $250,000 building it, spend sort of the better part of three quarters of a million, mm-hmm. you know, hope it's going to take sort of 12 to 14 weeks, takes you kind of the better part of a year. Um, you know, so after all that time and all the extra money and effort that's gone into it, you finally get to launch day and you're like, oh, like, this is great. Like, people are going to love this. Like, it's going to be a really big win. The company's just going to go to the next level. You press that big red button to go live. Um, and then the first 24 hours, you kind of get 25,000 complaints. Wow. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when you get a team of sort of like at this point, maybe 20 or 25 people who have like literally worked their ass off for a year and they're all looking at you like, why didn't it work? Yeah. You know, um, and then you've also got 25,000 consumers looking at you like, well, that was crap. Yeah. You know, um, and so, yeah, so I think there's, you know, there's the, what we were just talking about, there's the fear of like, shit, like, did I just mess this up? Like, did I just, did I just break everything? You know, and then there's the, what the hell am I going to say to the staff that are here? And then there's the, well, we've actually also got 25,000 members, you know, that we kind of need to like, you know, service and be like, provide a good experience to like, and everyone literally is looking at you. Mm. Yeah. So I think like a, at that point in time, like that's, yeah, when you talk about, you know, fear or you talk about like hard times or whatever, like for me, that's probably one that's kind of stitched into my memory pretty, pretty well. Yeah. Is there another? Um, there's, there's, I mean, there's plenty, but I think, you know, maybe, maybe something like, you know, something as fearful, like every business goes through kind of like, you know, difficulties, like, you know, setting things up, like getting your website URL, like, you know, whatever. And like, so I wouldn't really say there's not necessarily like, oh yeah, like another like massive one, but I think there's, there's, there's probably like tens or hundreds of like small things like that, that, you know, a lot of people kind of, you either don't remember along the way or whatever, like it's, it's the only thing that matters at that point in time. But then Mm -hmm. like two weeks later when the next one comes up, Mm -hmm. like that's the only one that matters. But so I think, um, you know, along the journey, there's, there's, you're, you're constantly faced with these, like what, what, the time they feel like kind of world crushing events mm-hmm. um and they kind of are in many ways you're know, emotionally and mentally but then you know, sort of two to four weeks later you're already on to the next one and yeah. and what have you learned about hard times because of that because mm. they because they happen so um frequently in the world that you've put yourself in yeah yeah what in hindsight if someone's going through a hard time or if they encounter a hard time someone like yourself who who is um 
very much uh, sped up the amount of hard times that they experience by mm. stepping outside of your comfort zone. Mm. What um, insight can you give us into hard times? Sure. So, I mean, well, yeah, first and foremost, the, it is totally okay to be emotional and it is like you should at all times be aware and conscious and, you know, feel your emotions. However, no matter how emotional you are, your emotions will never, ever fix the problem. Interesting. Right. You know, so it doesn't matter like how sad you are. It doesn't matter how angry you are. It doesn't like that. That's, you know, short, short of that motivating you to solve the problem, that, that's not actually going to fix the problem, you know? So like, you know, the, and, and, and yeah, this is probably kind of referring back to my, my OCD and my detail sort of thing. But, you know, my mind will kind of go like, Oh, like that sucks. Shit. Okay, cool. So the solution for the problem is blah, right? Like, and that's really the way that my brain works. So, you know, mm-hmm. so I think that, you know, if people are going through like repeated amount of hard times, like it's cool, like, and you need to have an outlet and like sometimes people need to complain and they need to vent and whatever their friends and family. But I think, again, it's kind of like, you know, discipline, do that, time out, and then go and win. Right. Because the reality is like you could dwell on one problem for six months or a year even. You could be really upset about it. But all that time you spent being emotional and upset about it is just wasted time. You could have been making progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so like, you know, I think, you know, a lot of people would probably refer to, you know, a lot of like really successful people and, you know, maybe me as an entrepreneur as well as like probably kind of intense, you know, but like it's that, that intensity to move and the intensity to win and intensity to kind of frog leap your problems is, is what generates, again, it generates a momentum and perpetuates the growth of the organization. I think, you know, if you, if you have a leader in your organization or if you're, uh, if you are the leader of your organization and you want to sit there for weeks and weeks and weeks on end kind of complaining about the problem, like you've not really achieved anything, mm-hmm. you know, so. Do you have, um, I think everybody does, but do you have people within your organization? Mm-hmm. Uh, let me reframe this question because I don't want to make it about your organization, but have, <laughs> have you, have you worked with people? across and I don't even really know if this is a question I'm basically just mm. saying this and seeing what you think about it yeah. but um I've worked with people over the last couple of years maybe over the last five years where when something bad happens say the room is on mm. fire mm. they'll be the type of person who will repeatedly let you know that the room is on fire <laughs> right and they'll scream the room is on fire the room is on fire they'll yeah. tell their team the room is on fire they'll yeah. tell everybody they can that the room is on fire yeah um and there's another type of person who uh, we'll be in a room that's on fire. And instead of saying it, cause it's clearly obvious mm. that the fucking room is on fire and that's not helpful right now, mm. they'll be solely focused on how we get out of the room. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've always thought that the type of people that as a CEO, you have to give the leadership roles to mm-hmm. are the type of people that are the solution orientated ones because, yeah. um, the, the first type of person who will just say that the room is on fire, if they're given a leadership role, because emotions can be quite contagious in business, mm-hmm. the, the worry is they will pass those emotions through mm. the organization. Well, it's a, it's a fact, right? So statistically, like 70% of the emotion and behavior of like a team and an organization is stimulated by that of their leader. You know, right. so like regardless, you know, whether it's, it's, it's a leader right at the top of the organization or whether it's a leader who's managing a team of four people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those four people will still inherit behaviors from the leader, mm-hmm. right? So I couldn't agree more. You know, the second person sounds like someone you want to hire, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the first person sounds like someone, yeah, not only do you probably not want them in a leadership role, but you probably, yeah, them. and again, being savage, but you probably don't really want them in your organization at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, cause the reality is like, even if they're not, you know, responsible for like driving and leading the team, they're still sitting next to someone mm-hmm. and that's someone still sitting next to someone. Sure. And that's someone still, yeah, you know, like, I mean, it's like, it's yeah, really, yeah. it's a, yeah, it is, it is in many ways like a, a compounding domino effect. And I think, you know, it's, it's those conversations, it's the water all the conversations and whatever, like everything that kind of creates and perpetuates culture. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, we, we again would probably say that we're, we're pretty hard on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's end conversation. Mm-hmm. What's the solution? And then if it's continuous, yeah, it's on fire, it's on fire, it's on fire. It's probably like, well, maybe we need to have a discussion about how you deal with problems. Mm-hmm. 
why? And then if not, fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like, and yeah, and that doesn't even mean that they're a bad person. It just means that you know your workplace and environment, and your team, whatever, is not necessarily for them. Like, I think you know a lot of people would view like terminating an employee or whatever like as a you know, bad thing. And I think in some ways, if you're like you're fired, get out. Like that's probably a little mm-hmm. mean. You should always, you should always shy on the side of caution with an employee and be there to support them, of course. But you know, if an employee, if you identify and they can also agree and identify that the workplace is not right, like it's like a bad relationship. Sure. Like don't, you know, don't force it to remain together. Sure. You, know, you could be better off apart. So I completely agree. I completely agree. Um, I didn't know that stat as well. So I'm going to use that a lot. That's 70%. Yeah. Yeah. I need to like research that after yeah. this. <laughs> but, um, uh, one of the things that Kayla wrote on her Facebook post was that sometimes people think you're arrogant. Explain that to me. I've got a question on that point, but w- yeah, w- sure. what does she mean? <laughs> well, I think, um, I think any person that's in a room that's extremely certain about what they want and extremely certain about the solution can sometimes, you know, confidence can very often be mistaken for arrogance. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, um, you know, I think probably what I would delineate as being the, 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 the key differentiating factor there really would be that, yeah, someone who's confident, you know, someone who you know, perhaps maybe has the answers or, is, or, or believes in their own abilities, but has something that actually can validate that. You know, so like, you know, a professional golfer can be confident in their ability to put a ball in, right? Mm-hmm. You know, whereas if you've never played golf in your life and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to smash you, you're going to get holes in ones, like that's probably more so arrogance because you don't actually have the experience and you've never done it before. Sure. Um, I think there's a gray area there somewhere in between about, you know, like how you communicate that and how you show yourself and how you show up to things. But um, I think that generally speaking, uh, you know, like colloquially, people who are extremely confident and who are maybe not known so well by someone else, that can very often come across as arrogance. But, sure. Yeah. And that, that often attracts a lot of um, hate. Yeah, haters. sure. Topic I wanted to talk about with you generally, because mm. I mentioned it in my last podcast, was about the topic of haters. Yeah. And I... I know I don't know that you've had any haters because mm. I've not. No, for sure I've we not, have, yeah. But I'm sure you have, mm. right? And mm. um, I think in today's age where we're all connected and we get mm. to see a lot into other people's lives and read their stories in an instant, yeah. I think um, everybody has haters, people that will, mm-hmm. especially successful people, right? Mm. Yeah, um, so what's your, what's your view on that? And have you had well, haters that literally, no matter what mm. you do, will just say you're a piece of shit? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, yeah. Well, the famous saying is "haters gonna hate," right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's yeah that that's that's gonna happen kind of regardless of who you are. Like, and to be honest, like it doesn't. You don't even you don't even need to be successful. Like, and however you measure success, whatever that is, right? But you don't even need to be successful to be hated, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I think that that the reality is that. And yeah, and maybe this is like, you know, a shock horror to society, but we don't actually all need to get along and be best mates. You know, like now just to add some flavor to that, you know, we shouldn't all hate each other as well, right? But I think, but not getting along and not being best mates doesn't mean that you hate one another, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that, that in, in, in society and, you know, social media perhaps perpetuates this a little bit, but I think that's kind of what the view is of some people. It's like you're either best mates or you hate each other. <laughs> you know, right? There's no kind of like in between. Um, but I think, you know, being, being successful or not, maybe, you know, let, let, let's just use it as the limelight, right? You know, if you're in the limelight, you're in the media or you're online or you've got fans or whatever, like, you know, most people that are going to be haters probably don't actually even know you. They've probably never even met you, right? You know, so I think that, and again, it's kind of like how do you deal with your problems we were talking about before. Like, I think that, you know, People are going to leave, you know, abusive and, you know, probably, you know, dumb comments on your page or whatever if they don't know who you are just because they've got an opinion and they're a keyboard warrior and that's cool and they feel they need to express themselves. You know, I think it's the person who's, you know, the being hated, you know, or being hated on or whatever, it's their decision to kind of be like, well, am I going to engage with that and waste my time and emotional energy, like actually like justifying that? Or am I confident in myself and who I am as a person and just going to leave it and move on? Mm-hmm. You know, so I think, hey, 
hate and jealousy and whatever is inevitable. But again, it, it's, yeah, do you want to waste time dealing with that mm-hmm. or do you want to spend your time getting more gains? You yeah. Know? And one of the, one of the, you know, hate comes in various forms from various different people, but sometimes it comes a little bit closer to home. Yeah. And I think this is probably, it's probably, hate's probably not the right word, but let's say like just negativity generally. Mm. One of the other one of the most popular messages I get into my inbox mm. is from young people who have an ambition mm. or a business they want to start or a project they want to pursue or a career and their mum, dad, boyfriend, girlfriend mm-hmm. doesn't believe they can do it, is yeah. being critical, is sometimes people can speak just by the facial expression mm-hmm. they give you when you say something. Yeah. That type of behaviour. What's your advice to, to people yeah. like that? Um, well, uh, so yeah, like first and foremost, like is, is so if you're trying to go out and do something and you've got goals and whatever and you, you're going to go out and try and crush it and like your best mate, your bro, partner, family, whatever, tell you that that's a dumb idea and that you shouldn't do it, you know, I think, you know, does, well, first and foremost, does what they're saying, is that saying, is that saying something about you or is it saying something about them? Yeah, for a start. Like, so are they telling you it's a shit idea because like they actually genuinely think that the idea is shit or are they saying that it's a shit idea because they are fearful that you might go and succeed you know, or that they're jealous that you're actually having a crack because you've got, you know, the confidence to go and do it, you know, or because maybe they're afraid that, yeah, you might actually succeed, you know, you might actually dominate and then they won't. You know, be on the same level as you. Yeah. You know, so is that a real thing? Do you reckon that's oh, a- it's a massive thing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, I'll tell you a story. It's like, you know, my, my best mate, like his name's Mitch. We've been best mates for 15 years, you know, like, and I, you know, slept on the floor of his house sometimes, you know, when I wasn't living at home or whatever. Like we've been through some savage times together and he came from a family that were, you know, they, they did it right. They, they were, they were well off. Right. Um, you know, and, and he's, you know, he's working really hard now to do his best and to try to dominate in life and he's giving it a red hot crack. But, you know, yeah, a couple of months ago, sitting there, and he's like, "Oh, yeah, we we're on the treadmill, was walking to my gym," and he's just like, "Oh, yeah." I was like, "How was last week, mate? Like, what did you do last week?" And he's like, "Yeah, you know, just had work, man. Just you know, trying to do some study, trying to you know, improve my things, whatever." He's like, "What did you do?" And I was like, "Oh, yeah, you know, I, I spoke to eight thousand people at OMR. You know, just got back from like you know Germany, whatever, blah blah blah." And he kind of goes quiet for a second. He's just like, "You know, man, like sometimes I can imagine it would be hard." for me as a person to be friends with someone like you because what I say is, you know, I'm doing my things, I'm living my normal life, doing whatever and working as hard as I can, but what you do is always so extreme and always so this and that and the other. And he's like, but, you know, that's only really bad if I think about it in that mindset. You know, if I go, but you're my best mate and you're actually winning at life and that's really amazing, like I'm really happy for you. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's the mindset shift, right? You know, he's able to kind of be like, well, just because I'm not doing what you're doing and what you're doing is really cool and awesome doesn't mean that I need to be negative to you. Mm-hmm. I could actually go in with a positive mindset, be like, congratulations, man, that's sick. And, you know, he's, you know, going to, you know, buying his first house and whatever at the moment. And I'm like, cool, man, like, you know, I, I, like, good luck. Like, I want you to win. Like, go get it. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's no different to like in that situation, like, you know, someone could turn around and be like, oh, well, that's not good enough, but that's not really achieving anything. And how do you spot those people within your friendship circle? Because I, th- I sometimes mm-hmm. think, you know, if you've got bad apples in your friendship circle, they mm-hmm. have more influence, more potential to tear yeah. you down than any yeah. than strangers do. Mm-hmm. Is there a way to, to know who's, uh, He's on your side and he's not. Well, I think, uh, well, whatever it is that you do to recognize them, you spot them quickly. 
yeah, because <laughs> it's a waste of time otherwise. But I think, um, you know, I think, I think, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, well, it's, it's exactly like, yeah, what, what, what's their facial expression? What's their response? Like, what, what do they communicate to you? Like when you're talking about the thing that you are most passionate about, you know, if, if you're talking to someone about something that you just really want to win out and you're so passionate about and they're telling you, no, 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 no. It's like, well, you know, either one, I'd be having a conversation with them about that to let them know that you're kind of like, Hey man, this is really important to me. Like, so if you're going to keep shutting it down, then we're probably, there's going to be an issue, mm-hmm. you know, um, and if they keep doing that, then it's probably, again, like it's, again, you know, intense and whatever, but like, is that person adding value to your life mm. or are they draining energy and emotion from your life? And like, and again, like, this is, yeah, this is a really, really like blunt, like hardcore approach. But again, like, you know, you, you live your life to make yourself happy and those around you happy. You know, in that situation, you're not making yourself happy and you're also not actually making them happy either, quite obviously. Mm-hmm. You know, so like I think, you know, a lot of people get stuck in this mindset. They're like, oh, but we were friends in high school, bro. Like known you for so long. We've got to be mates forever. It's like that doesn't have to happen. Mm-hmm. And again, just because you might drift apart from someone doesn't make you a bad person or them a bad person. Like that's just life, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Yeah, great. Yeah, mm-hmm. that really made me think because I've, I, you know, along the way, I think specifically with my business partner, when he... um Dropped out of university and joined me mm. in my first business. His every time he posted on his Facebook, mm. um, it was his mates from back home taking yeah. the piss out of him. Yeah. So he would post one of his achievements; he'd won an award, yeah. and it would be a flurry of his friends, quote unquote, mm. back home ripping yeah. him to pieces. Yeah. I didn't have that because from a very young age, everyone I grew up with knew knew who I was. But yeah. he changed. Yeah. So he went from being the kid that was probably, in some respects, the the butt of the joke amongst his friends mm. to mm. now being successful, quote unquote. Good, so, good on him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think his his circle struggled to adapt to that. Next topic I wanted to talk to you about is um, personal mistakes. I read online about your your, your speeding offence yep. and those things. Um, being completely transparent, I got mm-hmm. banned from driving too. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> for my own um, for my own stupidity, um, I got banned from driving in the the first week that I passed my test. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, I was going 101 miles an hour on, on the, the the motorway in a Range Rover. Yeah. Uh, the week after I passed, I had no fucking idea I was. It was 4 a.m. Yeah. in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, I just dropped um, someone off at the airport in London, and I was driving back to Manchester. Mm. But um, talk to me about that process and um, yeah, what sure. that taught you. Well, yeah, I think. Um Oh, I think first and foremost, something that was really, something that was really valuable that came out of that was that I actually, that, that was a really kind of great notification to the fact that I kind of changed from being, well, kind of changed from being a kid, you know, running a business, you know, into a leader, you know, leading a team and like leading a leading an organization and leading a, like a vision, yeah. You know? mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, if anything, for me, that kind of was a really, really good learning curve to understand that it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Like it doesn't matter how small the mistake is or whatever, but it's more about the message that it actually sends. Yeah. And so like as a leader, like I mentioned before, like obviously like, yeah, a huge portion of the behavior of any organization is, is stimulated by that other leader. It's like, well, you know, how am I actually showing up to work and what do people think? Because it's not enough. Like it's not enough to just win and it's not enough to just be smart. You know, it's how you win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, like so are you yeah, are you winning and being the douchebag that's like going around bragging to everyone about how great you are? You know, or are you winning and then taking your team out for dinner and celebrating with them because they've had a massive achievement and you're know, like actually getting around them and congratulating them? Because at the end of the day, like no organization, you're know, like, you know, Steve Jobs, like great dude, obviously ultra smart, visionary, genius, whatever. It's like, but he won because he had an incredible team around him as well. Mm-hmm. And without the people who couldn't have done that. You know, so as a leader, I think that doing doing you know, making a mistake or whatever it is, you know, speeding fine, cool, whatever, mm-hmm. right? But 
But I think at the end of the day, it's again, it's like, what, what, what would you take away from that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so for me, like I took away like, well, I can actually have a profound impact on people by doing good things and or bad things. What am I going to choose to do? Mm-hmm. Well, let's choose to do some good things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of what I took out of that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you've, I read that there's over 20 million people using your products. Mm-hmm. Is that accurate? Um, so we've had, so we would have had in total, I think about 35 million people use the product wow. now in total. Um, obviously there's you know, different amount of people using it at any given point in time, but yeah, plenty of people. Yeah. And this is across the, 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 bo- the body guides, the, the apps, sweat, yep. all um, of our trainers now. Yeah. Yeah. Across, yeah. The books, the yep. ex- fa- accessories. Yep. All that stuff. Yeah. Pretty incredible. Yeah, it's, uh, to be honest, man, like, I, I think it's sometimes we forget about how many people that actually is and how many people are being affected by, like, what we're doing in a really, really good way, you know, like, so that's, you know, nearly two times the population of the country that I grew up in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And like, that's like, and, and for me, like, you know, early on, like, again, like, yeah, you always are focused on the wins and the gains and the progress and how you do that stuff. But every now and again, like, you know, calling out that stuff and being like, wow, like, we've actually like had a pretty big impact on like literally millions of people's lives. And like, that's a pretty big, like, wow moment, you know, for, for me and for Kayla. So, and this is a bit of an obscure question. It's not written down anywhere. So yeah. <laughs> I just sometimes, I just sometimes, you know, cause we're coming to the end of this conversation. So I just wanted to, to go off in a, a couple of random directions. Yeah, go ahead. Um, are you scared of dying? That's a good question. Um, I would say, so I'll put it this way. I'm, would be scared of not being able to add value, all the value to the world that I believe I can add. And how much of value is that? A lot more than what I'm adding currently. So in other words, I'm not so much fearful about the notion of not being here and being on the planet. Like I think that's an inevitable thing, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, we'll see what happens over the next 50 <laughs> years. Right? But, um, but I think you're know, more so like, I think that, you know, I'm again, in, you know, arrogance, confidence, whatever, like I'm really confident that, you know, based on like how passionate I am and how driven I am and the stuff that I've been able to learn and the stuff that I inevitably will learn that I think that I can do some pretty cool things for people and I can add some pretty good value. And whether that's on like a individual level or whether that's uh, 35 million women around the world you know like I think that I'm really blessed to be in the position that I am in and I'm really blessed to have the mindset that I have you know so I think that I would be afraid you know I'd be afraid to not be here and you know we die or whatever you know if I you know hadn't really had a red hot crack at being able to do that in in a big way and you know so I think that we've done an all right job today but I think I'm still kind of only really just getting warm Mm -hmm. so So I guess it's fear of uh, untapped potential yeah I think so yeah yeah it's just it's you know it'd be fear of waste yeah, basically. I guess last question, then, which is a piece of advice. You know, I've, I read through your story and it was super inspiring. You're now on various rich lists and things like yeah, that. You've yeah. got a Lamborghini, I hear. Yeah, I actually just I got rid of got it. Got rid of it. Yeah. What yeah. Lamborghini was it? Uh, it was a Huracan. Oh, nice. Yeah. Very drivable car here. Yes, it is. <laughs> Not yeah. that I would fucking know, but yeah. <laughs> you've got 35 million people using your products and all these things. Mm. You know, there's going to be some people out there that are listening to this podcast right now and they have, mm. they have big dreams. They have a level of, um, belief that they can achieve those dreams and they're living a life that is not true to who they are. Yeah. This is probably like, you know, it's the number one reported regret of the dying Mm. is that they didn't live live a life true to themselves. Mm. Should have done this, should have done that. Yeah, yeah, they should have done and things they should, you know, and they kind of let life pass them by for whatever Mm. reason. What, what, you know, and this is also probably the, the, most common message I get in my inbox. What message do you give to those people that think maybe the life that they're living isn't completely true to who they are? Mm. And, and like, is there anything actionable that they can do to, to pursue that? Big question. So yeah, no, no, like, like good questions, man. Mm-hmm. Good questions. Um, yeah, I think, uh, 
Well, I think I said this like really, really early on, you know, when I was talking about like some of the adversity that I went through, like as a younger, as a younger person. But I think like at, at the end of the day, like, you know, who, who's in the driver's seat, man? Like who's driving? You know, like every single person on this planet effectively is in control of their life in you know, one way or another. Like a lot of people can, can, you know, put some extreme situation up and say like, I'm not in control of this. I'm not in control of that. Yeah, and yes, so on and so forth. And, whatever, right? but, and, like, and in some cases, perhaps that's true. Mm-hmm. But the thing that is consistent and common among every single person on the planet is that they're in control of something that impacts their life. You know, so like, sure, you might not have enough money to move out of home and you might not have a job and this and that and the other and whatever it's like, but you can control what you choose to learn to get a job. You know, you can control what you choose to do with your time. You can control whether you want to have one job or two jobs. Yeah, you can control whether you want to spend that money on a house or spend that money on a holiday or spend that money on a car. Yeah, and so there's no there's no right path. You know, I think that right now there's a battle between, you know, the, maybe the millennials and our parents who are like, oh, you've got to go to university and you've got to get a house and you've got to do whatever, right? You know, if you want to have kind of like what we would forecast as being a generally pretty successful and decent life, like that's one way to go about it, right? But I don't think that that rule book necessarily matters anymore. But at the same time, I don't think that everyone in the millennial generation also wants to go through that. Like they don't necessarily want to have money. Some people just might want to live a relatively normal, humble life. They might want to travel once a year or twice a year and whatever, right? So I think that, you know, first, you know, first, if you want to, you know, first thing, get in control, but figure out what you want to do. Cause like running a business isn't for everyone. 100%. Yeah, so like I think that it's cool to be like, oh, like Lambos, man, and like (laughs) private jets and like whatever, right? It's like, but do you actually want that life? Because it's that life's not about just having the car. That life's also about the long days. It's about the pressure and the stress and the whatever. Yeah, and you might not want that. You know, do you want the house and the kids and whatever? Like, no, maybe you don't. You know, so I think everyone's in control. We've all got equal control. I think it's about taking the control to the extreme and then controlling what you want. Yeah, and then working towards getting it. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time. Cool. I really appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having and, me, uh, mate. It's been great to, catch great to get to meet you. You are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level. And a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite, who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already, NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud, so you can access it from anywhere. And the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky, and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode. You are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level. And a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite, who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already, NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud, so you can access it from anywhere. And the cost of managing and running multiple systems, because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky, 
and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode.